thank you for wrestling with the logistics there, man. I appreciate yeah, that. Yeah, no it's problem. Frustrating situation. Well, plenty of problems, but I mean, not a big deal for to do it. <laughs> it's just <laughs> nothing. No, no, no issue for a man so beset by problems as yourself. <laughs> am I right? That's right. It's exactly right. <laughs> they say if you want something done, give it to a busy person. <laughs> They have so much momentum already. You drop it on them and just gets blasted off into they, the. They gotta yeah. get. They gotta make it happen now. Exactly. <laughs> it's like if you throw something in front of an oncoming train. Exactly, or like if you if you hold your hand, your arm out, or like you hold something out of a window, and then there's like a big gust of wind, sort of down the street. You forgot that you left the stove on too at this moment, and you go back inside. The window's still open, though. The gust is still coming. You go, you turn the stove off, kind of hungry. So you get something out of the fridge. You're going back to the window. Uh, it's like that. <laughs> I couldn't have put it better myself. And I suppose this is like this. Welcome to super duper stitches. Oh, <laughs> the comedy science radio show. Yes, recorded that is radio show. served <laughs> to listeners around the world. I'm Wyatt. I'm Jake, and we are back again to talk about spooky stuff from a scientific perspective, and oh, yes. uh, try and shed light on it when we can. I do believe this week it is an odd episode, meaning that. You don't go first. That's correct. And <laughs> this episode where I don't go first, we're going to be talking about uh, fairy tale related stuff. Mm. And that is, uh, I believe, it may have been a suggestion by more than one person, but the one I happen to remember is Kayla Gadoo, whose name rings a bell for some reason. It's my sister. Yes. She, yeah, so if you want to hear a really creepy ghost story, check out episode 45 where we interview my big sister and oh, uh she does an excellent job and it's creepy as hell hers is perhaps the best first person anecdote i've ever heard with my actual ears so if you're planning to send us your story listen to episode 45 and see if you can top that yeah yeah if you can top that man get your ass in a booth with a microphone right now <laughs> specifically talking to us that's right <laughs> <laughs> and also make sure that microphone is plugged into something <laughs> And that you are recording. Yes. As you do. Said words. Um, we want to hear is our point. Yeah, we want to hear that. Then. Anyway, we're going to talk about fairy tale stuff today. Before we do that, um, we also would like to right out of the gates here, thank a patron. My, oh my, I saw you had the NCAA device out. I, yeah. Uh, I've actually been trying to get this tuned up really well for uh, next week when we might be using it even more than we normally do. We'll talk about that more later this episode, but for oh now. My. Yeah, it looks like you have a squid tentacle, a pliers, some wiring, and a large jar of sort of like a yellowish slime. It's a, it's a mixture of mustard and mayonnaise, but it seems to be doing the trick. <laughs> You're not eating it, are you? I'm not, no. Oh, no. <laughs> anyway, let me turn this on here. Yeah, let's do it. There it goes. So, of course, this is a uh, cursed ancient computer thing that we built slash summon. And we're going to plug it into our heads. There we go. We plug it into the backs of our heads right into our brains. Pretty early on in the episode for me, so I'm not used to it. Um, <laughs> we'll be using this device, of course, to run Pander, which is the Patron Appreciation Neural Diver Evaluation of Risk, which Jake... Or 
<laughs> I thought there'd be more, more of a handoff than that. Uh, it is a way that we are able to calculate through the dark ether uh, what creature, monster, cryptid, whatever our Patreon patrons individually need to look out for. Quick snaps today. So today we're going to be focusing on CJ, CJ not Craig Taylor <laughs> of South, of South Portland, Portland, Maine. Maine. CJ, keep your eyeballs ever vigilant on account of the Charles, Charles Mill, Mill Lake Monster. Monster. Wow. <laughs> my oh my, CJ. This, of course, harkens back to 1959 when three young men from Ohio claimed to have had a face-to-face encounter with one of the most bizarre critters ever to emerge from a seaweed-strewn lake bed. Which is already odd enough. You don't find a lot of lakes that have seaweed in them, but when you do, weird stuff's going to happen. Notoriously salty lakes. <laughs> Aquatic-based cryptids far away the notorious pile of frog. It's just getting on all kinds of unrelated shit here. Log Loveland frogmans. We're getting a lot of different sort of jumbled information from the machine a currently. Of, a lot of kind of static in the form of just bullshit. Uh, all right, I this think... Wait, Jake, I think that Charles Mill Lake Monster was known for its voluminous catfish population? The monster itself was. Wow. It owned a bunch of catfish. I think <laughs> it was also... It testified that it was cavorting near Ruggles Road... But yeah, what we do know is a seven-foot-tall being that rose up out of black water from in front of some people. At the very least, guaranteed armless, <laughs> webbed feet. If you see anything that looks like this, uh-huh. uh, I would walk the other way. You know, best-case scenario, you can just hang around in Portland or South Portland and not go to Ohio and not deal with this really just, like, Goof-ass swamp thing-looking uh, monster man, and yes, which okay. uh, has an embarrassment of information written about it and other stuff. So there you go, CJ. There you go, CJ. Thank you very much for your support. Uh huh. Hope you got your stickers finally. <laughs> and uh, yeah, let's go ahead and pull these tendrils yeah. back out of our skulls. Mm. There we go. For any of our patrons at any level of support, including just as low as a dollar a month, you too will have your name entered into the uh, algorithm of Pander, and you can have your own creature and or a bunch of uh, other information found for you. And, you know, at least to our listeners in the United States, we all just got that stimmy, so no excuses, guys. Yeah, give us $1,400. Give us one fourteen-thousandth of that, please. Fourteen hundredth. <laughs> I got $14,000. I don't know what everyone oh, else oh, got. Oh, wow. They did tell me I need to return the better part of 13000 of it, but that's okay. What other rewards are there, Wyatt, other than the pander thing? My goodness. There's pander. There's also delightful outtakes. Jake makes us sound nice, but uh, we ain't. It's edited together in a way that is uh, a nice little tidbit of goofness. Exactly. Delivered to you each month, all the previous month's episodes get, of the podcast. Get your vitamin G yeah. back in your diet. Uh-huh. And also, at other tiers, you will get to officially now, every episode we release... Get to listen to a little uh, mini-sode, All which right. is probably about the same length as a central episode, but is that much less uh, planned for. 
We Jake leaves a lot of our uh, gobbledygook, freeform, freewheeling conversation in. Yeah, it's not very edited. You'll notice a very a different kind of more relaxed pace to those. Pretty fun. You'll get to you'll get to be in the room with us. At that same tier, you also get exclusive quarterly stickers that no one else on the planet gets. My oh my. And at the next higher tier, you can get, uh, I believe it's one free item from our shop of your choosing. Doesn't matter what, anything you like from our shop, one of them is yours. And then 40% off any other orders for life. And of course, at the highest tier of all, (laughs) we're still waiting on our sugar daddy or mommy to come scoop us up from school and take us to richville <laughs> yes one of we these days an absurd level which what is it again i forget i believe it's a thousand dollars a month <laughs> and you know some would call that a salary <laughs> but we call it the price of friendship not only will you be our friend you will be able to dictate <laughs> something like an episode a month I can't, it's something along those lines which is astounding but yeah, that is and how much friendship costs. a level costs. of power that I would feel would drive me insane if I were a listener. <laughs> so uh, do it responsibly, but also definitely do it. I believe you have 12 of those available, too. So right, so we can have, you know, a person You guys can pull month. your resources yeah. and uh, make us rich. <laughs> and also basically have us talk about nothing but what you're into yeah. for the rest of our lives. <laughs> But yeah, the cost of friendship is $1,000. Wyatt and I uh, just have been exchanging the same $1,000 to one another uh, since we've known each other. So that's how we're friends. Which, speaking of, I need to get that check in the mail. It's on its way. (laughs) I guess we're both paying each other. (laughs) That's right. Simultaneously. (laughs) And that is great. That's how we do it. Um... But yeah, check out our Patreon. Thank you, everyone. Now it's up to you, Wyatt. Okay. Well, I figure I will start my segment with what better than a little story, a small tale called The Boy and the Ogre, parentheses, a tale told around the world, (laughs) adapted by Amy Friedman back in April of 2001. Once upon a time, a clever lad and a clever fox argued about who was the cleverest. I can outwit an ogre, the boy said. The fox laughed. Oh, you can, can you? I can indeed, the boy said. And he set off into the forest. I want to say right here, too, this is in no way autobiographical. (laughs) I did not write this under a pseudonym, and this is not a story about me. Okay, keep that in mind. Before long, he came upon an ogre, a monstrous creature, huge and horrible looking. So this was written by someone about you when they met you. I cannot confirm that (laughs) publicly. (laughs) Goodness, now what will I do? The boy said aloud. And this was a good question, for ogres (laughs) love to eat little boys. In fact, ogres love to eat all kinds of people. (laughs) But instead of acting fearful, he pretended he did not have a care in the world. Hello there, ogre, he said. How are you today? The ogre was surprised, for most boys did not speak boldly to him. In fact, most boys did not speak at all when they saw him. Most boys quickly ran away. Now the ogre had been looking for a boy to eat, and when he saw the lad, his mouth began to water. But he fancied a special kind of meal, one he could eat at his table, with plenty to drink besides. And so he said, I'm just fine, my lad. 
but I'm a little lonely, which is a creepy fucking thing to say. (laughs) For a moment, the boy felt sad for the ogre, but he was wise enough to know this was a trick. Still, he had some tricks up his own sleeve. He was, after all, trying to prove how clever he was. To a fox that was not there. Yes. (laughs) He may have been losing his mind. Here was his chance. So he said, I'll keep you company. You will, said the ogre happily. Will you come to my home? You're not afraid of me? The boy asked. The ogre laughed heartily. Afraid? Why should I be? I'm very strong, the boy said. Prove it, said the ogre, and the boy, who had carefully considered his trick, pulled a block of salt from his pocket. Shit ton of preparation. (laughs) Watch this, he said. I'll squeeze this rock in my hand and turn it into salt. Again, the ogre laughed. The lad squeezed and squeezed, and soon salt poured from his hand. The ogre was amazed. You are strong indeed, he said. Still, he thought, a strong boy would be as good a meal as a weak one. Together they set off for the ogre's cavern. The boy's imagination was full of the stories he would tell. None of his friends had ever before seen an ogre's cavern. Just called a cave. Why do we have to use two more letters? It's so annoying. When they walked through the entrance, the ogre tossed the lad a thick sack made of oxenhide. Go fill this with water and carry it up from the stream. Surely... A strong lad like you can do that. I'll start the fire. Now the boy wondered how on earth he would carry such a sack filled with water. He was not that strong. But he did not wonder long. He ran down to the stream, and there he dropped the sack on the ground and began to dig a channel. When the ogre saw this, he laughed heartily. Dude is looking for jokes. (laughs) So, you're not strong enough to carry a sack of water. Is that it? Oh no, said the boy, this is not a question of my strength. I am digging a channel for you so that the water will come straight to your door and save you the trouble of carrying sacks. By now the ogre was starving, and he could not think clearly at all. Never mind the channel, he said. Come back to the cavern. When they arrived, the boy began to yawn. I'm terribly tired, he said. I think I should sleep before supper. The ogre's eyes gleamed. I'll just prepare supper then, he said, and after you have slept, we'll eat. You can sleep there, in the corner. By now it was dark in the cavern, and so, the moment the ogre's back was turned, the boy took a sack of flour from the larder and placed it where he ought to be sleeping. Then he hid in another corner. Which brings me to another question. Where's this ogre buying sacks of flour? I guess maybe he's just stealing them? And if it's a small enough sack of flour that the boy can move it, is that just like... A single slice of bread for the ogre if he's making <laughs> bread at home? That also raises a question to me, which is, um, is this a square cavern? Yeah, maybe he, he carved it himself, this ogre. And if it is a square cavern, why isn't he just calling... Why does he refer to it himself as the cavern <laughs> and not my home? More questions for Amy. Gosh. Um, <laughs> not long afterward, sitting in the corner, the ogre tiptoed outside and returned with a tree trunk he had hauled out of the ground. With this, he smashed the sack, thinking it was the lad. And just for good measure, he lifted the trunk once more and struck another blow, and then another, seven in all. There was nothing left for him to eat. Yeah. (laughs) He likes a thin paste. He's very much like the crone in The Witch. (laughs) Yes. This is uh, before um, the invention of immersion blenders, too, so it kind of makes sense that you have to do something. (laughs) Indeed. It was the original butter, actually. (laughs) 
Then he began to howl with laughter. This ogre is a, seems like a good dude. I would like to hand it. He seems laughs, laughs a lot of stuff. Take that, he said, and I shall eat you when I wake from a nap. Because the bad guy can never just do the thing. He was so hungry he couldn't think straight. He's like, he beat the fuck out of a, a thing of flour, which had to have used up a decent amount of energy because he used a tree trunk. And he's like, I'll eat later. I'm going to take a nap first. And with that, the ogre went to sleep, for he was tired from his labors. The moment the boy heard the ogre's snores, he began to cry out in his loudest voice, Ogre! An insect has invaded your house. It must be a terrible insect, for I heard his wings flapping and flapping. Seven times he flapped his wings upon my head. How can we sleep with such a creature flying about? Now the ogre was frightened. What kind of boy could withstand seven blows of a tree trunk, thinking them merely insects' wings? Terrified, he ran from the cavern. Again, ogres calibrated for seven. <laughs> He's like, one, two tree trunks, lambs? Never know. Seven should do it. The boy knew he was not quite safe yet, and so he searched the cavern and soon came upon a bow and arrow. He walked outside, prepared to head home to tell his tale. But as he was walking down the path, he saw the ogre running toward him, and beside him trotted the crafty fox. This fox has explained your nasty tricks, the ogre said, and I'll get you for this. But the boy aimed the bow and arrow at the fox and shot him dead. Jesus! That fox, he cried. That's the very fox who promised to find me an ogre so that I might overcome him with my strength. You must be the one I am to destroy. And with that, Wyatt, he took aim once more, <laughs> but the ogre took his heels, took to his heels, took to his heels, and ran away so fast that no one ever saw him again. And all the foxes had to agree they were not the craftiest of all, and the ogres were not the strongest of all, and any boy who could use his wits and courage would always do well in the world. By being, I guess, a sociopath. Yeah. <laughs> so, classic tale in which an ogre is the main antagonist. That is my topic for today as far as fairy tale creatures. Ogres. Everyone's favorite monster. <laughs> uh, so familiar and ubiquitous are ogres that I probably don't even have to describe them, but here goes anyway. They are a legendary monster, usually depicted as a large, hideous, man-like being that eats ordinary human beings, especially infants and, as we just heard, children. <laughs> they frequently feature in mythology, folklore, and fiction throughout the world and appear in many classic works of literature. Uh, and again, if you have been living under a rock, ogres often are depicted as inhumanly large, tall, and having a disproportionately large head, abundant hair, unusually colored skin, a voracious appetite, and a strong body. <laughs> They are sometimes foolish, but other times clever. I almost read another tale today called The Ogre's Feather, which is apparently a piece of Italian folklore hmm. in which the ogre is beastly, but also strangely all-knowing. Uh, he, The ogre in that story also winds up being outwitted by another male hero. And it's a more satisfying structure, but it is another one, two, three, kind of like overcoming challenge sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just too long, and it was in Italian, so it would have been very <laughs> gobbledygook for most readers or listeners. 
Plus, I don't speak Italian. Just kidding. It was translated. Uh, anyway. We'll save that for uh, our friend, anyway. Teresa. Indeed. She would have known. As keen-eared listeners will recall, Teresa was on the show to read a sea monster story. Il Colombre. Thank Episode you. 85. Bowling for Il Colombre was the joke <laughs> that I did not say at the time, and I regret saying now. <laughs> so, as I've mentioned, ogre's feature entails around the world. The term ogre traces back to the French, originally derived from Orcus, Punisher of Broken Oaths hmm. in Italic and Roman mythology, who was bad news all around and fed on human flesh, but only if you were a bad boy. <laughs> uh, Orcus was portrayed in paintings in tombs as a hairy, bearded giant. The Cyclops could arguably be seen as a fundamentally complete ogre in those tales. Hmm. The French start mentioning ogres as early as the 12th century, but ogres were really popularized through tales like Puss in Boots mm-hmm. and Hop of My Thumb. <laughs> Don't know that one. Nope. In which they are the central antagonists. Hop of my thumb, kind of like Hansel and Gretel meets Tom Thumb. Meets Hop on Pop. Meets Hop on Pop. <laughs> Tiniest brother goes with his siblings because his parents can't support them anymore. They travel away from the house, leaving crumbs behind to try to find their way home. Hansel and Gretel. Mm. Ogre comes and snatches him up. He's going to eat him. He outwits the ogre by swapping outfits with the ogre's daughters so in the night the ogre kills his own kids jesus yeah it's dark they run away ogre puts on his seven league boots which it's like thigh high boots but way taller <laughs> and they go all up to the shoulders seven leagues <laughs> i was gonna say they they are boots that you could use for football basketball baseball <laughs> soccer <laughs> hockey and some other stuff <laughs> Anyway, the ogre chases him. He falls asleep. Hop on my thumb. Whatever. The little guy takes the boots off of the ogre somehow. They shrink down to fit his size because magic shoes. And they let him move really quick. The end. <laughs> Puss in Boots cat. Uh. <laughs> so can we trace it back to a natural explanation? Well, not exactly. Less an inspiration for the wilderness outside the house, it's far more likely that ogres were born of and for the wilds of the human psychological landscape. Mm -hmm. So back in 2001, then-PhD student in comparative literature at SUNY Buffalo, Ian Jobling. I think you say Amy Friedman. (laughs) Amy Friedman, yeah. (laughs) Published an article in the journal Human Nature entitled The Psychological Foundations of the Hero-Ogre Story a cross-cultural study. He uses this article as a means of critiquing cross-cultural narrative assessments in general, but also to make the case that stories in which a hero defeats a semi-human ogre occur much more frequently in unrelated cultures than chance alone can account for, Hmm. and that, therefore, the tendency to tell these stories more likely has its source in the innate human nature to form positive biases in the perception of self and in-group, and negative biases in the perception of out-groups. That makes sense. So he makes the case that ogres are effectively both a literary and social psychological device to reinforce these negative biases in the perception of out-group members. So he writes, the work on negative biases in the perception of out-group members makes several predictions 
about the way in which outgroup members will be portrayed in narratives. For instance, people should portray outgroup members committing evil actions against in-group members and should attribute these evil actions to the outgroup's evil nature rather than to situational factors. Hmm. So in other words, they're just nasty. An innate thing. They're not doing it because they have to. They do it because they like it. Right. Outgroup members will be dehumanized in the in-group's portrayal of them. And the in-group will portray the killing of outgroup members in warfare as virtuous. Hmm. So we're all relieved often in movies when we finally see the guy kill the monster. But maybe that monster was just trying to do his groceries or something. <laughs> the portrayal of ogres in the sample set of stories that he provides confirms these predictions. The ogres in the stories all commit actions that are harmful to in-group members. These actions are also always unprovoked. In attacking, the ogre is not avenging any injury committed against him, etc. Ogres are portrayed as incapable of any cooperative relationship with in-group members. Basically, in-groups always describe them as evil, wicked, cruel, delighting in bloodlust. They make like moralistic conclusions mm. about them. Gotcha. This is not just their actions. It's their like nature. It's their quality. Mm-hmm. Furthermore, one of the common characteristics of ogres is that they have practices that in-group members consider foreign, disgusting, and immoral. Uh, they're often, for instance, cannibalistic. And not only that, they're also distinguished from the in-group by their non-human physical characteristics, often gigantic in size, frequently physically deformed in some way or another. They may have only one leg or more than one head or giant testicles and so forth. So... Shown to be different from normal, quote-unquote, human beings, both psychologically and physically. So, they're a literary device. Right. And, but also a cultural device. Also, a critical note here, I think Jobling has a decent point about ogres limited to literary component here. But as I was searching around for more of his writings and his background and credentials, I discovered, at least according to religion.wikia.org slash wiki, Slashy and jobbling. That he may be a pretty shitty dude. Oh, no. <laughs> he may be an ogre of his own. <laughs> um, with very backwards, racist, and short-sighted views on America and its people. Hmm. So, there's that. Lovely. Also, this Ian Jobling is not to be confused with Dr. Ian Jobling, academic associated with the University of Queensland in Australia, who seems like a real decent guy, or perhaps may be the same Ian Jobling after a very strong PR campaign. <laughs> I don't really know. It's a very unique name. So, <laughs> but yeah, again, to sum it up, it's kind of what we probably already intuited coming into this segment today. Ogres are less a nature inspired monster and more another narrative foil for hero tales and good old fashioned boogeymen, a device that quickly and clearly conveys aspects or challenges that are to be rejected or overcome. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is part of the enlightening core narrative quip of the Shrek movies. <laughs> That ogres are not just mean and awful, but layered. <laughs> that is, greater complexity of character, even admirable traits, can be discovered if one just takes the time to eat the bloom and onion or whatever they were talking about in those movies to the donkey. <laughs> that's right. Anyway, ogres, that's great. Thank you. There you go. I'm ogre it. Am I right? <laughs> is that another one? Anyway, check it out. Yeah, away, probably Jake. should move on. Uh, and I think to move on, we should talk about. Oh my god, Jake. I've been meaning to tell you, I have started my own awesome brewery. Have you? And 
I'm making delicious beer that happen to be called things like Dirtweed <laughs> and Purple Potion. Oh, interesting. This is, of course, just one more in a long list of things that Druid for Phantoms <laughs> could reasonably have said. <laughs> Had we met him a little bit earlier. Indeed. <laughs> Yes, of course, it's time to bring up the grooviest little brewery in western Massachusetts. A place that truly puts the king in clink. <laughs> Four phantoms. They currently have some fun new offerings. Include, well, Purple Potion is back again. That is, again, I really love it. It's a uh, boysenberry sour with a hint of lavender. I like that it's just the right amount of both those things, sour and floral. I tart. don't. Yes. I don't like things that are too tart when it comes to sours. I also don't like... Things that are too floral when it comes to those flavors. I think the balance is great. And they also have, uh, what else, Wyatt? They also have the righteously named Battle Standard, mm. which is a lager brewed with German malt and American Equinot <laughs> and Amarillo hops. One that I look forward to trying. Me too. There's one more, I do believe. Hand of Doom. By that I mean I know. Yes. It's their current Imperial Stout offering. Uh, it is, as we've established... 90% stout by volume, uh, no, 9% alcohol by volume, <laughs> and it sounds real good. Oh, yes. This is of the oatmeal variety, mm -hmm. meaning that it will have very delicious, desserty vibes, loads of chocolate and caramel flavor, sure to delight one's face. I was going to say face. You beat me too. Wow. It. See, wow. I think we didn't. I, I don't know if we ever got all those chords out of our brains with the mind link and all this, the NC AAA, etc. Of course, as a brewery founded on the principles of DIY punk and heavy metal, 5% of sales go to the independent artists who design their rad labels. And how cool is that? Yeah. You can buy Four Phantoms in Massachusetts and Rhode Island. And uh, you can also do curbside pickups, and it's still weird quarantine. We have contact info to get in touch with them to do so in every episode's description. And please, for the love of all the gods, do review them positively on Untapped. Untapped. Which, much as we beg for reviews on iTunes, it will help them get exposure. It directly influences their ability to be distributed. It is a major, if ultimately regrettable, <laughs> medium of assessment for breweries <laughs> yes because people sit at home and they go yeah 3.5 really the beer is a straight five it's delicious yeah try and count out the snobs with some nice things to say if you say something nice and mention us we will read your fun review here on the show exactly so lean in say whatever you want as long as you give it a five-star review mm -hmm. that's all that matters to that brew thank you very much for fandoms back to the show yeah all right, so for my segment, I really had it in my head. I wanted to either look at uh, real-life inspirations for uh, mythical creatures. I think that may have been more what Kayla was suggesting, the idea of things in the world that, ins that, that kind of uh, led to the beliefs in certain sort of mythical creatures. Um, or Not else... Oops, Kayla, okay? <laughs> or else I wanted to find purported sightings of mythical creatures in real life. I have ended up going... More the latter. Oh my. First up, I have a post by Jason Offutt from the blog From the Shadows, dating back to June 7th, 2009. Mm, good year. Uh, I'm trying to think of anything that happened that year. I don't fucking know. Well, it's 10 years after, but go on. Oh, I see. Uh, Offutt, who would later be a writer for a notoriously overwrought paranormal website, Mysterious Universe, had the following to say. Oh no. <laughs> 
Uh, the house sits on a large piece of land near the Tool River in California. Or is it Tula? I guess it's Tool River in California. Starting with the house, too. That's pretty bold. Mm-hmm. Several outbuildings dot the property, but only one ever made Tammy quicken her pace as she walked by. The barn. Uh, about five years ago, my three kids and I lived in a house just off the river here in Porterville, California, Tammy said. The lot we lived on was about 100 acres, and there were five houses and one very old spooky barn. I'm not totally certain of this, but I get the impression generally here that uh, Tammy supposedly reached out to him directly with this story, and he shared it. Mm-hmm. Tammy and her children had two dogs, a cat, two turkeys, six chickens, and a couple of ducks, none of which would wow. venture close to the barn. Some of the other animals weren't as lucky. She says, quote, oh, we had a lot more chickens and ducks, but they had started disappearing, Tammy said. I also noticed that none of the neighbor's animals, or stray animals for that matter, would go anywhere near that barn. It was without mm. a doubt just creepy. But the barn was on the way to the river, and they often had to walk past that building, its big doorway gaping and black as a pit. Mm. We always got the feeling of being watched, Tammy said. I'm a bit sensitive to spirits and things like that anyway, so all my nerves were jangling whenever I went past that barn. Hmm. Often when the sun began to set, Tammy and her children would notice their animals acting strangely, often staring at the old barn with trepidation. Many a night would pass that all the animals around us would be barking and howling and just going crazy, she said. I never saw anything and thought the dogs were just barking at each other. But one night she noticed not all the noises came from their animals. There was something else. Spooky. Quote, sometimes we would hear noises coming from the barn, but always just figured it was rats or some other wild animals as we had all kinds. But then she saw the little man. Oh. Quote, one evening, my son, who was seven years old at the time, uh, and I had just come back from grocery shopping. We had parked and got out of the car. And as I was opening up the back to get the groceries, uh, I noticed a movement out of the corner of my right eye. Tammy looked to her right and didn't see anything. Then, as she lifted a grocery sack from the car, she saw the movement again. Mm. Quote, this time I heard a very freaky, very evil-sounding chuckle. I looked in the direction of the sound, and <laughs> <laughs> there, standing about 50 yards from my son and I, was what I could only describe as a gnome. Oh, boy. <laughs> the entity was about two or three feet tall. Baggy black pants hung from its waist, and the creature, quote-unquote, wore a gold-colored shirt. It had a salt and pepper beard and hair that ran from beneath a red pointed hat. This dude sounds handsome as hell. <laughs> uh, that thing grinned at us. Black baggy pants and a gold shirt? Mm-hmm. She didn't say like a metallic gold shirt, but I'm assuming uh, maybe like, yeah. I mean, you either say yellow or you say gold, baby. <laughs> uh, that thing grinned at us and the creepy grin spread from ear to ear and its teeth were a gross brown and pointed or jagged, she said. It had a bulbous oh, nose and large, deep-set eyes, but I couldn't really tell the color of them. I never got a closer look at it, and I don't know if it was wearing shoes or not, because at that moment, I dropped my groceries, grabbed my son, and ran for the house. Yeah. Tammy reached the house, clutching her son close. Behind her, the car trunk sat open, the groceries still inside, and a little wicked man was laughing. <laughs> we ran in the house where I promptly slammed the door shut, she said. I was trying to tell my daughters what had happened when we heard something moving in the garden under the living room window. Oh, no. As he looked toward the noise, the bent-over top of the thing's red-pointed hat appeared in the window. <laughs> I closed the blinds and moved away from the window, she said. The weird thing about seeing that hat under the window is that the window is about 8 to 10 feet off the ground, and that little creepy thing was only about 2 or 3 feet. So what how was fuck? it able to be so close to the window? Ugh. Eventually, the thing left the window, and Tammy retrieved the groceries from the car. 
She never saw the thing again, but until the day she moved, she knew it was still around. So, people don't really know. They actually hire out for the Travelocity commercials. (laughs) The actual traveling representative, I have only heard stories, is very gross looking. (laughs) After that night, whenever the dogs barked or howled, we were pretty sure we knew what they were barking at, she said. We're also pretty sure of where our missing poultry had gone. From time to time, we would hear a weird, creepy chuckle and other noises coming from that old barn. I feel like I would move instantaneously. Yeah. Or burn that barn into oblivion. Yes, that seems like a couple of logical moves. Uh, It does seem like Tammy did eventually move away from there, but we'll get into that later. set up a gnome trap. Yeah, where you just put gnome food. I think... I think uh, what we would consider finger sandwiches are straight up lunch for gnomes. There you go. And you just put that in a rat trap and you're good to go. Yeah, rat trap. Exactly. Snap their little necks. Uh, so yeah, gnomes. <laughs> you, why, you've covered you've covered them quite well right here on this show quite a while back alongside puckwudgies and duendes and bodybuilders and the like. Oh, yes. I'm going to focus a little more on just gnomes in particular. I'm very happy to be back in this space. This <laughs> is a, very enjoyable. It is a fun on. space to be in. So as far as just like background on gnomes, it seems like this comes back to uh, the 16th century. And uh, Paracelsus first described gnomes as one of four beings that each represented one of the four elements. Do so you know hmm. about Paracelsus? Uh, Paracelsus. He was very into alchemy. Don't know him. Okay. He saw gnomes as being one of the different kinds of creatures who could represent the different four elements. Gnomes were earth. Undyne were water? I don't really know what hmm. those are. And sylph were air, and salamanders were fire. Ah, uh, yes. Classic. Yes. The name itself, gnome, likely got fucked up from the Latin genomos, or genomos, meaning earth dweller. Hmm. So at some point in the translation, I think the Oxford Dictionary says that it was a blunder that resulted in the lack of the E. <laughs> Um, very Oxfordian of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, Paracelsus, in turn, was probably influenced by Greek and Roman mythology of mm. uh, uh, pygmies, I think was what was referenced. And ah, yes. uh, so, so on back from there, just basically mythological mythological beings with mythological roots serving mythological purposes. Uh, yeah, kind of uh, an earth spirit type of thing. I think sometimes they're said as being able to pass through solid rock sometimes, or they live underground, things like this. Right. Just because they're mythological didn't stop people from believing in them, literally. And like a lot of other folkloric stuff, that line of belief would fade over the centuries. But as we found here on Super Superstitious, it hasn't fully gone away. And people seem to still be encountering little bastards. Oh, man, do they ever. And I have to say, some of the footage is creepy as shit. It really surprisingly is. Uh, <laughs> again, I think that was episode 17. Yeah. Uh, uh, it's Huckleberry Hellhound, whichever one that is. There are links to those videos. That maybe I'll post them here, too, just for good measure. It's creepy, surprisingly compelling little... I mean, it's it's low res enough you can't see, tell what you're seeing, but it does look like weird little figures zipping across that screen. Oh, boy. And it's it sounds really innocuous. Like, oh, a gnome? Like, whatever. That's just goofy little bearded guys with hats. But if you were to see that in real life, it would be pretty unsettling. It would be upsetting to the max. Mm-hmm. Oh, my gosh. And this is another question, which is the Keebler cookie bin. Are they really elves or are they gnomes? I don't know. They live in a tree instead of underground, so it's hard to say, but they may have moved out at some point. I don't know. That's true. 
I, it does sound like um, the idea of gnomes was kind of brought more into the English-speaking world by this one poem a while back. As earth spirit type of beings were associated with gardens later on as like, oh, hey, let's mm. maybe make this little idol for these earth spirits to say, hey, help us grow this food that we need. And I think that was the origin of garden gnomes. Wow. Slowly, for real. Slowly oh be- they think God. they were like carved and then they be- eventually became just these little kitsch things. I feel like, yeah, I was going to say next you're going to tell me that the flamingo was <laughs> an ancient somewhat, you know cultural token that had purpose <laughs> for protecting the landscape of some kind <laughs> and is now still doing that i suppose i guess so yeah you know i like we've talked about the different goofy halloween decorations there are like the um bugs with bones and stuff like that like skeletons of things that I don't have skeletons like is coming yes go on i do really like the uh the halloween flamingos <laughs> like the black ones you put in your lawn those are i didn't see them before this year maybe they've been out longer than that but i found it a very cute addition to that whole uh thing. the most upsetting one for me though is that they make the stick part if it's laser up the stick also has bones <laughs> uh where am i so i do have a little more from jason offwood's blog so here's another post from august 6th 2011 he does say outright in this one that he wrote it after being directly contacted by a woman named charlie thomas hmm <laughs> he begins this one with the house as well okay the house seemed perfect. Charlie Thomas, her husband, their two-year-old twin girls, and two golden labs moved into the two-story country house in Porterville, California in March 2010. Lots of twos, and we could be sure this is not just an exercise in literary repetition. Carry <laughs> on. <laughs> the house was perfect for us, Thomas said. Exactly what we were looking for, and we couldn't wait to move in. There are three bedrooms, a huge kitchen, dining room, and living room, and lots of windows all around it. The deck that poured from the back door opened... Poured from the back door. Weird thing for a duck to do. Um, Opened uh, to the woods and the nearby Tool River. A deck in the front overlooked a pond. Thomas placed fairy, gnome, and toadstool yard ornaments all around the pond and stocked it with Japanese koi fish to make it look more like their home. But they would soon find it wasn't their home. Oh, boy. Thomas began taking her daughters and the dogs to the river in the afternoon. The dogs loved the water, and the girls enjoyed throwing... In sticks for them to uh, for them to fetch. One day at the river, Thomas heard her husband shouting for her. I heard my husband calling my name from the house. She said, "He sounded kind of frantic and it worried me." Uh-huh. So I hurried the girls as much as two-year-olds can be hurried and started for the house. As they approached a rickety structure on the property, Thomas calls the shack. The dogs grew defensive. The shack, not the barn, right? They called it the shack in this, in this particular report from Charlie. As we got even with that shack, the dogs went crazy, she said. They were barking and snarling, and the hair on their backs was standing up, and something told me to run, so I grabbed a twin under each arm and ran for home. In the house, she slammed shut the door, locking it. But her husband wasn't there. He was nowhere in the house, she said. I Uh called his phone, but he said that he hadn't been home. Thomas' thoughts went to the shack. There are two sheds on either end of the house, Thomas said. The shed on the west end is newer and we use it for storage, and the one on the east end is just an old shack that looks like a strong breeze would blow it down. Something about that shack gave me the creeps, especially oh, at night when oh, I, did but I don't know why. Oh, did something about it give you the creeps? Yeah. <laughs> uh, Thomas served in the, uh, in the Army, her husband in the Marines. They were both engaged in firefights in Iraq and Afghanistan and didn't frighten easily, but something about that shed terrified them. <laughs> After we had been there for a week or so, I started noticing that none of the animals would go near that shack, she said. Our dogs, the stray cats, and the wildlife gave that shack a wide berth when walking past it. 
Doing yard work one day, Thomas and her husband heard a fight coming from inside the shack. It sounded like a cat was in a fight with something way bigger than it was, she said. Her husband went into the house, grabbed a flashlight, and ran to the shed. Just as he got to the door, the noise stopped, she said. He went in and looked around with a flashlight. Just as he turned to go back out of the shed, something in a corner caught its eye. There was something moving and it sounded like it was struggling to breathe. He shone the light in that corner. It was a cat. He ran out of the shack and thought he was going to be sick, but after a few deep breaths, he was okay and told me what he had seen, she said. There was a cat and it looked like it had been in a fight with a, gr- uh, with a meat grinder. It was totally skinned on one side and its neck looked as though something had taken a huge chunk out of it. Oh my god. Once he caught his breath, he ventured back into the shed. The cat was gone. There was no way that cat moved by itself, she said. We are standing right there. Where did the cat go? And that's the end of that particular post. A deliberate cliffhanger now, in the tales where of... where could my pipe be? <laughs> that's a very obscure reference. Carry on. I was just saying, that's the end of that particular post. A deliberate cliffhanger. What are your mm. thoughts so far? My thoughts are... Who was the guy who wrote this? Jason Offutt. Jason Offutt is... Very much practicing a story format. <laughs> and they're creepy. Yeah, I'll have to read more about like what his past is. Because this is, this is back in 2009, 2011. Him writing on this blog. And then he would go on to write for Mysterious Universe, who we know are a, a unique website. So Peddlers <laughs> Wax. Yes. Um, no, it's spooky. I mean, if these are legitimate... Yep, they are. Yeah, and good he, Lord in heaven. And he claims I'll I'll look a little more into what the deal is with his. Actually, let me just do it right now. What stopped me from just seeing what from the shadows is? It's True tales of the paranormal by Jason Offutt. Uh, True tales by Jason. Uh, it is truly a tale. <laughs> it doesn't seem as though this is meant to be just straight up deliberate fiction. It does seem. Like, the intent is that this is as real as any of the shit we read on Reddit, I guess. Hmm. <laughs> but it is filtered <laughs> through this one guy as opposed to being um, directly submitted by separate individuals. So, Well, let me take him at his word and say that if that is true, that is the creepiest shit ever. Yeah. So that, that's where we're at so far. So there is a part two of this particular post, which came out the following week. So oh I'll, my, I'll pick it up. They found the cat, didn't they? <laughs> yeah. Um, the noise outside the Thomas's window may have been singing or chanting, but whatever the noise was, it was terrifying. Mm-hmm. Charlie says, it was 3 a.m. and we were woken up by a sound that I can only describe as a raspy gurgling sound. It was without a doubt the most hideous sound I have ever heard. It freaked us out. Thomas and her husband looked out their bedroom window and saw something that froze their blood. Oh, God. Standing by my pond holding one of my garden gnomes was what I can only describe as something out of a Grimm's fairy tale, she said. This thing that was standing in our yard was hideous and grotesque. The thing stood pick, il- pick one. The thing stood illuminated under the motion detector light. It was less than three feet tall, had a long gray beard, wore maroon pants, a baggy yellow shirt, brown vest, and a dark waistcoat. What's a waistcoat? Uh, wait, it's spelled waistcoat, but I guess it's supposed to be pronounced waistcoat. It's a vest. <laughs> vest. I see. I had said waistcoat before I got made fun of, so to our UK listeners, there you go. Waistcoat. Waistcoat? Uh huh. I think. Maybe I'm wrong. Correct me. I don't give a shit. It's a vest. And a tank top is not a vest, okay? It's a tank top. I believe it's a tank top. And cookies are cookies. Biscuits are a different thing. Anyway, 
I uh, couldn't tell if it was wearing shoes or not, but it was wearing a reddish-brown pointed hat, she said. Thomas mm. stared at a gnome. The thing that made this creature really hideous was its eyes and teeth, she said. It looked like it was grinning, and its teeth were jagged and pointed. The eyes were little, beady, dark, and mean. So he had three eyes, huh? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> one was beady, one was little. Actually, oh, wait, four. four, I should say. Excuse yeah. me. <laughs> we, both, we both realized counting. at the same time. Yeah. Um, and it knew that they saw it. That thing, gnome, troll, whatever it was, knew we were looking at it and reached into the pond and grabbed a koi, she said. Right there in front of us, it dropped it in its mouth and swallowed it. <laughs> That's a huge mouth, I guess. You think it could would chew with those nasty teeth? Yeah, just <laughs> swallowed an entire koi fish whole. Also, um, those teeth suggest this thing is one hundred percent just predator. Yeah, uh, we had noticed that every time we put fish in the pond, they disappeared, and we thought it was cats or raccoons eating them. After seeing that, I think that creepy little creature was the guilty party. Her husband pushed the window open a few inches and screamed at the creature, telling it to leave their yard or he'd call the police. The gnome simply grinned, laughed, and shot them the bird. <laughs> Really? <laughs> they called 911. We just said that we had an intruder in our yard, but we honestly didn't think he was going to be there when they arrived, she said. They didn't tell the police what they had actually seen. When lights from the police car shone down their lane, the gnome simply disappeared. Hmm. We told the officers that the person ran off when it saw lights uh, saw the lights coming up the drive, but they looked around anyway, she said. When they were satisfied that it was gone, they came to tell us that they only found some small shoe prints like a kid's. We knew it was no kid. <laughs> The gnome came back night after night holding a yard ornament and eating their fish. <laughs> You'd hold the yard ornament and eat the fish. It's a very strange thing. Yeah. Um, they eventually moved the ornaments and put the fish into a tank in the house. Then realized they'd made a mistake. Oh, no. One night after we had removed the fairies and gnomes and fish from the yard, the creature showed up at the usual time, 3 a.m., she said. When I showed up and found that the yard ornaments were gone and the fish were gone, it went crazy. It was yelling and screaming something that we couldn't understand. We didn't understand that this thing was pissed and wanted us to know it. The gnome ran around the house again and again, screaming and gurgling, its feet hardly touching the ground. Then Thomas realized something terrifying. We had put a doggy door in the back door, and it was big enough for our dogs to go through, and it would be big enough for that creature to go through as well, he said. <laughs> oh, I, no. I took off running down to the kitchen, and as I got there, the dogs had started barking like crazy at the doggy door. She shut and secured the doggy door, then realized the upstairs windows were open. That creature can half run, half fly around the house. It was probably capable of flying up to the windows, she said. Oh, no. A fear hit me then like nothing I had ever felt, and I ran back up to the twins' bedroom where they were both found asleep in their cribs. Neither parent slept that night. They soon realized their days in Porterville were short. Yeah. Last we heard of that creature, there was a very loud screeching, cackling sound, she said. It was under one of the living room windows, and when my husband went to check it out, he saw the top of the creature's hat under the window. Right then, we decided that we were out of there. We couldn't stay there with that creature. They soon moved. Wow. So yeah, Jason's pretty convinced that this is this um, this family moved into the same property as uh, Tammy before them. Uh. And um, sounds awful. <laughs> if it is to be taken at, as you said, at face value, pretty creepy. Where is it? Porterville? Where? California. That's so funny. If you do Porterville, California, GN. It automatically completes to Gnome House. <laughs> oh, they have a picture of the house. Ooh. Although, if you check the news results, it doesn't really work. I spent a while looking for it. I saw a different place. Actually, even on MysteriousUniverse.com, they had this story. And I kept trying to trace it back to see, like, looking for where, what was there. So, cause they, don't, they don't usually cite sources on there. 
I'm trying to say, right. okay, where's an, where's an earlier reference to this? Where's an earlier reference? And like uh, a lot of words is like referring back to the Mysterious Universe uh, page again. Um, this particular blog website thingy was the oldest one I could find of that. And, and since it's worded as though at least one of these two stories was like a direct report to him from somebody, it suggests right. as far back as it could go with that. I don't know about the Tammy one. If it goes, goes back any further, this is as far back in time as I could find, but I didn't spend maybe as long as I could have. I don't know. Wow. But, uh, it's some weird spooky. stuff. I mean, if we, again, if we assume that this is something that really happened, I think the only explanation would be that, hey, a weird dude lived on their property. <laughs> oh, my God. I mean, definitely a lot of sites, like, carry it. Yeah, it's a, a pretty popular story, it seems like. I mean, and understandably so. Creepy-sounding uh, little tale. Oh, my God. I uh, would, yeah. like, I would not enjoy that. Man, Jake, creepy as hell. <laughs> yes. Very nice. So, presumably not a real gnome, but uh, probably a, if real thing, a weird time and a good uh, reason to move away. Indeed. Man, oh, man. Well, what can we say? Fairy tales. I think <laughs> that is all that needs to be said. Yep. This will certainly not be the last time we uh, dig into this particular subject area. Very fun. Inter- lots of lots of stuff to uh, to get oh into. Oh, my gosh. So much to do. So we will for sure revisit this again down the road. But uh, that's our first foray. Um, thanks so much for listening. If you like the show, maybe rate us and review us. That's right. Hit us up on iTunes or whatever, Apple Podcasts, and uh, leave us a favorable review. It helps us and, get found. Uh, it'll help boost our exposure. Mm-hmm. You can do it on any of the different um, podcast apps, but Apple Podcasts is still the biggest one and uh, gets the most visibility, so that would be very great if you could do it. Oh, yeah. Um, cause of the week. Yeah, it really wouldn't be a week in the United States without a mass shooting, would it? Yeah. Uh, we'll link to some resources for how you can support the families of the victims in Boulder, Colorado. In the meantime, also on top of those resources for helping them out, uh, if you live in the U.S., please consider calling your senators and representatives, not emailing, but calling them to demand robust legislation to prevent gun violence. So many people there are, uh, you know, there's so much lobbying, the NRA in particular, there's so much lobbying, a lot of money in it for people. If you, yeah, people know that their reelection is at stake because their constituents want shit done, it does make a difference. Especially calling, it's a more tangible way for Congress people to gauge the mm-hmm. sentiment of their constituents. Uh, it's much harder to ignore uh, when the phone lines are just all blocked right up than just like a bunch of emails or letters or something. Exactly. Just being literally vocal about it can make a difference on legislature in general. It's true of a lot of different issues. The $15 minimum wage, COVID relief, Medicare for all, Green New Deal, all kinds of stuff. And I know for, I, I for one have intense telephone anxiety so i get not wanting to call directly when less direct uh methods are possible but let's collectively see if we can do it for the sake of making stuff better yes indeed thank you very much for that jake yeah what are we gonna do next week wyatt well jake i do believe we may be returning to those certain mountains (laughs) And the reason we call the machine that we do pander on the NC AAA will again become uh, highly relevant. Yes. <laughs> Talk about March Madness. Okay, see you then. Bye. Bye. <laughs>